Good morning. If you're willing and able, please stand and follow along as I read God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one, for this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, I want to say hi to everyone here and those of you joining online, wherever you are joining Orangewood Church uh, this morning is wonderful to be together and wonderful to finally be preaching to people in the room. Um, 2020 uh, has been a very difficult and interesting year. Can we say that? Um, I have never experienced a more divided year in my life, uh, a more divided, uh, fragmented culture that I'm living in than 2020. And then to think that we haven't even gotten to the elections yet in November. Um, it's just been a, a very divided time, a very uh, diverse opinions that separate people and issues Um, And so I've just been praying to God, God, where would you take us in such a divided world right now? And and God just kept bringing me back to this reality uh, that we are called to have an encounter with Jesus, uh, to look to him, to fix our eyes on him. And when we look to him, we find everything that we need. And and so this next year, we're going to be looking at the life of many different people who encounter Jesus, those who continually we've found their trust and confidence in him, who, who look to him for their source of life. Uh, these, these encounters are varied from person to person in the Bible, uh, from religious people to skeptics, from progressives to conservatives. All of them were transformed by having this encounter with Jesus. And so we'll look at these various encounters actually through next May of 2021. Uh, as we set our hearts and minds on what God has to teach us. These, these various lives that were impacted and transformed by this rabbi uh, in the first century. 
And so this year, uh, our hope is that we would take all the Orangewood Church family and we would be united around the beauty and the power of encountering Jesus in our lives afresh. Are you with me? Our sermon series uh, that we're beginning today, as we'll have many small sermon series throughout the rest of this year, uh, our sermon series today is called Unlikely Places. Um, that we're going to be looking over the next couple of weeks as these various encounters with Jesus in very unlikely places. And our sermon today kicks off uh, with very early part of Jesus's ministry where we see this encounter in a very unlikely place. It was the Jordan River. And our scripture passage that was read earlier uh, tells us about this journey that was taken to the J Jordan River where we find a very odd man named John the Baptist uh, who was calling people out to be baptized. And so this morning for us, we have four questions that we need to answer of why we are at this river, why you and I have, have come and joined in at, at this river with all these other people. Why are we here? So we have four questions. What's the invitation? Who's inviting us? How are we, how do we miss this invitation? And lastly, how do we get in? So what's the invitation? Who's inviting us? How do we miss it? And how do we get in first? What's this invitation that we need to receive at the river today? Uh, we, we need to see this invitation that's being offered to every person. John the Baptist said this in verse two. He says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's this invitation that's being offered to people who are gathering at this Jordan River and to hear John. And he tells them the kingdom of heaven is here. Now, why does he say the kingdom of heaven? Well, in this time, Matthew is writing to a very Jewish audience. Um, and for them, the idea of the kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God. So other uh, gospels would have said the kingdom of God. Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven because they refrain from using the name Yahweh as much as possible and would instead use other language to communicate the same thing. So he says the kingdom of heaven is what is here that Matthew says. This. Now, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? We have to understand this. This is very important. Uh, New Testament scholar uh, Leon Morris says that the kingdom uh, is more about a rule than a realm. More than, it's about a rule than a realm. Um, it's more about something that happens in our world than something that already exists. What is he getting at? Morris is saying there's an invitation that's being offered to you and me, despite the circumstances and the obstacles that we face. And that you and I are offered this opportunity to surrender to God, whatever is happening in our life, to come to him and to his kingdom, which is near because God is near. I, I run into people all the time and I'll ask them, where, where is God? And then they'll, they'll say, well, well, he's in heaven. And then I'll say, well, where, where's heaven? And, uh, and, and they, they have a little perplexed look and they, they, and they begin to talk. Well, heaven, it's like. It's just really, really far, like really far away, way out there, like just past Pensacola. But the reality is, as we understand, is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand. The kingdom is here because God is here, which means, as Dallas Willard has put it, heaven is closer than the air we breathe. Do you want that life? What does that mean for us? What does that invitation mean? I think it means everything. If you're a person who struggles with control, always wanting to control the situations or the circumstances or the people in your life. And if you're wondering, do I struggle with control? Um, just ask the closest people in your life. They will be glad to tell you if you struggle with control. My wife would be happy to chime in this morning if I allowed her. If you struggle with control, 
and you're always waiting for the next disaster, the next situation to arise, you can have the courage that God is with you no matter what you face in this life. No matter the circumstances, we can know that we are safe right here amidst a pandemic because God is here. He is with us. If you're a person who struggles with constantly needing everyone else's approval in your life, always needing to care for the needs of others, always seeking to earn others' love, you can surrender your heart to God because of Christ Jesus. When he looks at you, he smiles. He smiles at you. He's not far away. But he extends an invitation to you to know that no matter the relational conflicts you face, no matter the loneliness you may feel, no matter how hard you may be working to earn everyone else's love, you can surrender your heart to this God because he is closer than you possibly imagine. If you're a person here who struggles with constantly needing to achieve, to perform, to conquer the next mountain of your career, to crush the competition, always needing the next plaque on the wall of your heart, the next future endeavor. If you struggle with performance, you're always going to be in a place where you're needing uh, to wear out your body uh, and constantly feeling like I need to earn the love through my achievements. But God invites you this morning to experience that your love is not earned. Or his love is not earned. But God invites you this morning to experience his rest. His rest that he offers you. That right here, right now, your soul can rest in his kingdom if you want it to. He extends that to us through the gospel of Jesus. That the kingdom of heaven is breaking in. And no matter who you are, you can receive this invitation. And so this morning, if one of those situations popped up, control or approval or, 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 or uh, looking to achieve, one of those fact, um, messes up in your life, you experience that, um, you, you can come to Jesus. And I want to put you at ease this morning. I struggle with all three of those. So if, if you're feeling worried, that's just you in the room, it, it is me as well. But here's the great news this morning. Notice what John the Baptist tells us. He says this. He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is at hand for the rich or for those who have it all together, or for Republicans, or for Democrats. John makes a sweeping claim that goes to every person. Whoever you are this morning, no matter what has happened in your life, no matter what has gripped you, no matter what fear you face, no matter how much money you think you have, no matter what debt you have, if you have debt up to your eyeballs, no matter if you have five homes, no matter if you are divorced, no matter if your marriage, if you feel like is hanging on by a thread, no matter if you have a chronic illness, There is nothing that keeps you from being extended the same invitation that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Will you receive it? Will you step into this place where God is closer than the air you breathe? Do you want that life? That no matter the circumstances you face, the stress you may feel, the worry that consumes, there's an invitation being offered to us by the river if we would choose to step into it. Now, you may be hearing this and wondering, well, who is offering this invitation? Uh, And this, this brings us to the second question. Who's inviting us? Who's inviting us? Now, you may believe it's John because he is the one who's extending it, but the words are not, they're coming from his mouth, but they're not actually uh, from him. He's actually not the one inviting us. It says this in verse three, John's quoting from the book of Isaiah in the old Testament. And he says this for, for this is he who it was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. When he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way, makes his path straight. Uh, what we see in this passage is the person inviting us into this kingdom is not really John, but it's the Lord. Now, now, this is very important for us to notice because Jesus understood this about himself. 
how he understood himself is very important. Jesus understood himself to be God in human personhood. Now, how do we know this? Well, John is very clear. Uh, he sees himself as the opening act, the, the appetizer, if you will. He's, he's preparing the way. And he knows there's one that's going to come after him who is the Lord. And, and when John sees Jesus, he connects with him. He, this man is the one who is coming to make pastorate. This is the Lord. John is essentially saying, you are the fulfillment. Uh, you, you are God in our midst. Now, how else do we see this? Well, in verse 14, um, our Bible translation that we use here is the English Standard Version, and it's a really superb uh, translation, but it translates verse 14. Uh, John would have prevented Jesus from being baptized. Now, as much as I love this translation, I, I struggle with, I think it could be translated better is what I would say, as little Greek that I know, but I, I offer that. Um, I think this passage, really the way the emphasis is that it's saying in the Greek that, that John kept trying to hinder Jesus. Jesus kept coming to be baptized and, and John kept hindering him. John, John was continually saying, listen, my baptism is not for you. My baptism is for those who have sinned. And, and so you see John the Baptist in this moment is seeing Jesus as sinless. So uh, nowhere in this passage, as John calls him Lord, God, and John calls Jesus sinless, does Jesus ever correct him? Uh, Jesus never says, oh, John, that's not true. I, I'm not God. I, you know, I'm only here to bring a new way of consciousness. I'm, I'm only here to, I'm just, a, I'm just a good moral teacher. Jesus never, never says that. Jesus believed and taught that he was God. Uh, in fact, uh, in his book, uh, Hudson Smith wrote a book on the world's religions. Uh, uh, Smith talks about uh, as they looked at all the world religions, there were really two characters that really people looked at their life and the people that encountered them uh, didn't just say, who are you? But what are you? I mean, what, what kind of person are you to live this kind of life? Two people, uh, Smith says, uh, one of them being Buddha and the other one being Jesus. And, and the people that followed Buddha, they, they tried to worship him. Uh, they said, look at the way this man lives. He must be divine. He must be God. But Buddha said, do not worship me. F follow my teaching." Follow my doctrine, what, what I've presented to you. But Jesus Christ, on the other hand, believed himself to be divine. He said, he didn't say, I am a God. He said, I am the God. I'm the God of all of history. And, and this is where Jesus is different from every other religion that we see. He's different from every other figure that we've seen ever live. You see, every other religious figure has said, I know the way to God. But Jesus Christ said, I am God. Very different because Jesus believed this about himself. He didn't correct John in his statements. Uh, John basically said, Jesus, you, you are God and you are sinless uh, because Jesus never corrected John. We only have two options this morning for how we are to understand Jesus. If you do not believe Jesus was God as he claimed to be, then we have to either say Jesus, he was either horribly wicked that he would manipulate people into being killed for his movement or we would say he was horribly deceived that he believed he was God. You know, see, to say that you believe Jesus was a great moral teacher, but he wasn't God, we're not allowed that option. There's no middle ground for that. Jesus didn't allow us that option. He's either who he claimed to be, or he was delusional, or he was wicked. Those were the two options. And, and what we see here throughout the Gospels, the people that encountered Jesus there was no middle option for them in how they responded to this invitation. Either people met Jesus and they said, I don't want this man anywhere near my life. Kill him. Or the response was, this man is my life. Kill me. Those were the two options. Those were the two encounters. 
And this morning, what's your response to this invitation and to this man who claimed to be God? How do you receive this invitation from him this morning to this kingdom that he's inviting you into? And what I would simply put for you this morning is there is no middle ground. He either claimed to be true to what he was or he deserved to die. And so maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching online. uh, You're saying to yourself, I want this kingdom life. How do I get it? Well, it's immensely important for us to see how easy it is for us to miss it. And that's what John gives us to. And this is how we miss the invitation. It's actually in verse seven. He says this, John rebukes this crowd who's gathered. He says this, uh, but when he saw the many Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And do you not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Uh, John observes that some of the most religious people uh, who had ever lived are coming out to the Jordan River to take part in this moment. But John spots them and he doesn't want them to miss the true meaning of this gathering. Uh, You see, uh, while the Pharisees and the Sadducees had gathered to do the right thing, they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Uh, They've come and they've entered in this presence, but they will miss the invitation. And why do I say that? Well, you see, the religious people have gathered for what was for them just another ritual, uh, just another thing to do for God, just another opportunity to patch up their righteousness that they think they need. And John is telling them, you cannot patch up your own righteousness. Now, I know what someone's probably thinking. Of course, a minister is going to say that. And that's okay. I get it. It's okay. I understand my place. Um, And maybe you can't listen to me, but maybe you can hear it from Franz Kafka, who who also said, you cannot patch up your own righteousness. Kafka, uh, I don't know if you had ever heard of him. He was an author. Uh, He wrote what some consider one of the best books, novels of the 20th century called The Trial. And maybe you were forced to read it in school. But the novel, there's this main character, Joseph K., And he gets accused of a crime and he is under house arrest waiting his trial, but he never knows what he's actually on trial for. He doesn't know what the charges are, but he starts looking at his life to assess what could I've possibly done wrong. And when he starts to look at his entire life, he sees all kinds of flaws, flaws everywhere. And he starts to see all the holes in the way he's lived his life. And he realizes that as he's been living to patch up his own righteousness, he stops to reflect and he realizes he's not going to make it. As he begins to look and assess, he, he looks at his life and he says, I, I haven't done enough. And Kafa is saying for you and I, there's this chronic river of guilt and anxiety that is flowing underneath the surface. And we are trying as hard as we can to patch up the dam, but there are cracks in the wall. We can feel it. As we see and we ponder our lives, the mistakes that we have made, the addictions that we have, the secrets that we have kept, there is no patching to cover these holes. And this is what Kafka is really getting at. And what John the Baptist, I think, is saying, if if you're getting in this water for the baptism to patch up the holes and you think this will deal with your guilt and anxiety, your works will never be enough. There will always be holes. There will always be the sense, as Kafka said, that there's there's more out there that I need to do and I can't do it. John's essentially saying, you you can't be here to patch up your rightnesses or you will miss out on why we are here. There's only one way to get into this kingdom. And if you want to do that. And so that brings us to a last question. 
How do we get in? How do we get in? Well, John is telling us here, uh, there's people, they're standing along the riverside and we cannot be here to patch up our own righteousness. We're not here to patch, but to praise. Why do I say that? Well, Jesus Christ comes to John the Baptist and John is perplexed. Why, why are you the sinless one coming to me to receive a baptism for the forgiveness of sins? And then what I consider one of the greatest verses in all the Bible John responds, Jesus responds to John and he says this, let it be so for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. This for me is one of the greatest blessings of the Christian faith. And I think we miss it many times. You see, in theological terms, they talk about the active and the passive obedience of Christ. Now, when we talk about the gospel, most people, they think of it this way. They'll, uh, we, they think of the passive obedience, and this is how you would explain it. Many Americans right now, because of COVID, are, um, they're struggling to pay their rent, and uh, your landlord comes to you and he says, I'm going to have to kick you out um, because I need to be paid, and I'm really sorry. But there's someone who comes, and they pay off your, your debts. And this is the message I think that many people imagine when they think of the Christian faith, that, that everything has been paid. The debts have been paid, um, that you who have sinned against God and his perfect law, there was a debt to be paid for your disobedience and, and it's been paid. And, and this is what people think. This is the passive obedience of Jesus. Jesus died to pay our debt. It's beautiful. It's scandalous. It's amazing. But we usually stop there. We usually stop there. What we miss is the beautiful, scandalous, and amazing reality of Christ's active obedience. Now, what do I mean by that? When Christ went into the water to be baptized, he was being baptized not because he was a sinner, but because we are. And when he was identifying with us in every possible way as he could as a human, where, where do we see that? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, there's a prophecy about one who would come to bring God's forgiveness to identify with the transgressors. And it tells us in the book of Isaiah that there was a suffering servant, Isaiah 53, and that he would make the many righteous because he was, quote, numbered with the transgressors and bore the sins of many. And see, this is why we need to see the beauty of the active obedience of Jesus. Jesus came and lived a perfect life of righteousness under the law as a human being so that his righteousness and merit can be imputed to us. A couple of weeks ago, um, we were talking with our kids, Rachel and I, um, about our grandparents because our kids never got to meet our grandparents. And so it was just wonderful to share these stories, stories of memories that we had about our grandparents, uh, stories of these amazing meals that they made. And as we began to talk about these amazing meals, there began to be an argument between Rachel and I um, because we both believe pretty strongly uh, that our grandmother is the best cook ever to live. And we had to get to a place where we would agree to disagree um, and we would allow the conversation to not continue uh, because you just don't mess with grandma. Uh, I remember one time when my grandmother made one of her signature dishes. It was called apple bake. Um, it, it had apples in it, but it was essentially a dessert. And one time we sat down to have this meal uh, around the table together and our family, uh, me and my brother, my parents all took a bite of this delicious apple bake together. 
uh, but something was horribly wrong. And grandma was sitting there. So we're looking at each other. How, how do we break the news to grandma? Uh, who's who's going to break the news to grandma? Um, uh, grandma finds her life in seeing our approval from her meals. And so we began to approach the subject with her um, about, hey, something doesn't taste right. And then grandma took a bite of it herself. It's been a long time. I remember, so I felt like grandma cussed in that moment. <laughs> but I feel like I have to have that wrong because grandma doesn't cuss. But that's what I remember. Grandma runs off to go look at her recipe list. What, you know, what did I put in? What, what, what's going on? She realizes she forgot the sugar. A very huge ingredient to making this delicious apple bake. Friends, if we miss the perfect life of Christ and his righteousness imputed to us, it will look like dessert, but it will taste awful. Why do I say this? Well, if Jesus died to pay the debts, that is wonderful. That is amazing. That is grace. We have a clean slate. But what does that inherently mean? If you have a clean slate, well, now you need to get to work. You need to produce. You need to earn. You need to show. And friends, I think that is a picture of the gospel in the American church. Jesus died for your sins. He paid for your debts. You have a clean slate. That is wonderful. That is grace. But now you need to get to work. You need to produce. You need to put merit in the positive side of the ledger. And friends, that is no longer going to have the beauty of the gospel. It is dessert with no sugar. When Christ went into the water to be baptized, he was identifying with us not only to bear our sin, but that his perfect life and obedience to God, that he would live, his perfect righteousness would be merited into our account so that we would never have to work to earn our salvation ever again. We would never have to patch up our own righteousness. What does that mean for you today? No matter how many times you've fallen on your face, no matter how much there is a grudge that you continue to hold, no matter the addiction that still clings to you, no matter the sin that you cannot forget, no matter the inadequacy that you feel, no matter the anxiety that COVID has produced, all are welcome to the water because Christ has accomplished everything from beginning to end. His performance, not yours. His righteousness, not yours. His obedience, not yours. All who would come to this river would say, I'm not here to patch up my righteousness, but to praise the king who has accomplished everything from beginning to end. There is here now for you, no matter who you are, no matter what you are facing, no matter what addiction still clings to you or secret you have kept, there is nothing that keeps you from coming to this water if you are willing to not patch, but to praise. Do you see how sweet that tastes? That one goes down really well to come to the water, to receive all that Christ longs to give us because he is everything that we need. As the great hymn goes, for it is grace that has brought me safe thus far and grace, only grace that will lead me home. Do you want that this morning? Do you need that this morning? So the question is, where do we go to get this? What is the only thing we need to get it? Well, John tells us actually in verse 14 uh, from his own life, he, he tells Jesus said, uh, he said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. I need to be baptized by you, Jesus, not, not me baptizing you. you. See, John is essentially saying to Jesus, I need you. 
I, I need you, Jesus. I, I come with no merit of my own to offer. I put my faith in the one who has sealed my salvation with his righteousness. I've not come to patch. I've come to praise. To get the invitation to come empty handed with nothing to offer. That's why I come. You see, what you need is nothing at all. Just to stand on the river shore, to stand on the river, by the river, to cheer, to shout, to sing, and to dance, as hard as that may be for Presbyterians. And to praise the one who has accomplished it all from beginning to end. I read a story about a pastor during the Christmas season who received a very generous gift, uh, a very generous gift certificate from a high-end department store. It was a gift that was given to the pastor in case you're taking notes. It's a true story. Uh, The man who gave the gift certificate was a member of his congregation and he was the owner of the store. Uh, The pastor uh, went to use the gift certificate and the owner kind of showed him around the store and the various items that would fit him. And they brought all of those items up to to the store to check out. And he he was hoping that he had bought a few extra than the gift certificate was worth. So it would be a gesture to give some money back into the store as a as a kind thought. Um, he gets up to the front, uh, they, he begins to pay and he, the owner of the store informed him, I, I'm sorry, you've only used half of the gift certificate. And, and the man was perplexed. I, 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 we, it was way more than what the gift certificate was worth. So he went home, he had a conversation with his wife and they both made a plan that they're going to come back to the store by well over the amount of the gift certificate that's left so they could show their generosity to the owner of the store. They, they come back to the store. He, he puts the, the clothes on the counter. Once again, um, he loaded it all up, brought it to there and then they find out there's still money left on this gift card this gift certificate. Now the pastor is super perplexed and he protests, literally protests to the owner at this point. He says, that can't be right. The total must be well over by now. The owner got very, very serious with a very serious tone. And he responded, I don't think you understand how this gift certificate works. No matter what happens, there will always be money on the balance. Friends this morning, who would love a gift card to your favorite store like that? Well, you can. Well, you can. There's always money in the account because of what Jesus has done. He's given everything. Everything he could possibly give, including his life, he's given to you so that you could taste fresh air right now that God is with you, no matter what you face, no matter the circumstances that you are enduring, no matter the addictions that still cling, no matter how hard you have fought and strived to earn others approval, there is a new air that you can breathe because of what Jesus has done. All you have to do is come to this water, not to patch, not to patch, but to praise the one who has accomplished everything from beginning to end. To his name we pray. Let's pray together. Well, Father in heaven, we thank you for the encounter of John and Jesus at the Jordan River. We thank you for the baptism of Jesus, a a clear picture 
of his perfect life for us. And now, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts to the work of Christ and free us with the beauty of this gospel today and forever. And in Jesus' name, we do pray. And the church said, amen.